Hello, and welcome to Series 4, Episode 8, Dad Educates Daughter, on 80s Music. Hello, Rebecca. Hello, Dad. How are you? I'm good. So, this week, good week, I would have said. Um, You had Phil Collins, Midjure, Phil Linnett, John Parr, Jim Diamond and Van Morrison. Yes, I did. Overview from you, what was it like? So, I remembered. Do you remember last week you said, oh, no, you do know them, you've had them before, or we've spoken about them. I worked out who it was, but only because when I was listening to them watching a video, it came up with, and I was like, ah, so I reminded myself of them. But... Yeah, it was a bit of a, like, you can't, the thing is, with you not doing it, like, do you remember with, um, like, the bands, you would kind of give me similar genres for the week? Well, obviously, now I just get whoever, and so it's very, like, none of it, like, you can't compare them. Um, But this week was nice, because it was a nice variety, I think. Mm. I had a nice variety of them. Um. But yeah, you'll find out what I really thought. But overall, the variety was nice. Okay. So how many number ones? Bearing in mind, we had Michael Jackson two weeks ago. With, I can't remember who else was on it, but we had only four number ones. We then had Prince last week with only two number ones. Yeah. So this week, how many are you going for? So when you put it like that, I'm like, oh, God, I should really start thinking of thinking of it like that. So I felt like Phil Collins and Monsieur, Midge Year would have the number ones. Um, but who knows? Because one thing I did think about last week is that one of the number ones was from one of the little people, not like a prince, like, you know. So I've been majorly thrown off. But I... After listening and really thinking about it and making my notes, I don't think Midjure had any. <laughs> I've gone for three from Phil Collins. Okay. So the three are In the Air Tonight, Against All Odds, and Groovy Kind of Love. Okay. Well, you got a good chance then because there was five number ones five you five. made me think that saying three was going overboard five right. or maybe Midjur did have one then <gasps> maybe phil linnett had one and maybe van morrison oh okay i have no idea so who would you what song would you have gone with for Majure? Mitch. Well, I don't I don't know. I'm just saying maybe he did, just because he's got the next amount. But I really don't think he do, I really don't think he does. So I'd rather say that Phil Lennart had one with King's Call. And okay. and then to make up the five, because obviously I've said three from Phil Collins, I want to say Van Morrison with Brown Eyed Girl. Okay. All right, we shall find out. That's why I'm putting the five so, in. Okay. Are you ready to Let's Talk 
music. I am. Let's do it. Okay. So let's start with Phil Collins. Yes. So obviously I've heard of him. And the reason I've heard of him is because I know he's done a lot of Disney songs. And one of the main ones is Tarzan. And not going to lie, when you sent me the songs, I was like, none of these are in Tarzan. Then I remember Tarzan's 1999. We're doing 80s, so I've not got any Tarzan. But so, and I think he did like a bit more Disney music. Um, but Tarzan was the main one that I know him for. I've gone with pop, but I'm not 100% sure, you know, because he's very easy listening. And he has a very calming voice. Um, and it's quite, he's got quite a range, like from your chilled out to your bit more oomph in there. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that I will say is I forgot he was the music from the Dairy Milk advert. And then obviously I listened to it. Yeah. The gorilla on the drums. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I forgot, and then I listened to it, and I was like, oh, yeah, this is Phil Collins. So I think he's – forget the gorilla. I mean, the gorilla's very talented, but I think Phil Collins is very talented on the drums. So I enjoyed, you know, I enjoyed that and, like, p- piecing together, um, like, recognising the music and piecing together why I recognise it, because it's not – people like Phil Collins isn't – it's not someone that I – recognized because of you you recognize because of things like dairy milk or disney do you know what i mean so it was quite nice piecing that together and being like oh yeah i know this because of this um weren't he in a band don't know what band but in the very last song it there was a video obviously the video it was really clever but it started off with they were missing a vocalist and someone went, oh, why don't you get Bill to do it? They'd obviously changed his name. Get Bill to do it. And the guy was like, mm, don't know, he's a drummer. And the guy who said about Bill said, oh, well, he used to be in a band and someone left and he became the vocalist then. So let's do it now. And I was like, oh, yeah, I feel like, but I can't for the life of me remember. And I didn't want to look it up, but I can't for the life of me remember what band. Um, okay. He's also quite old. Um, and he looks like he's just popped around to the corner shop. Like, there's nothing special about the way that he is. So it proves looks are not everything. Also, the amount that he was receding, he should have just shaved it off. Like, it was, like, halfway back, back halfway across the dead. Like, it was awful. But, yeah, that's Phil Collins. Okay. So, Phil Collins from London, England. He's been active in the music business since 1963. So hence you say he looks old. He's a singer, songwriter, drummer, record producer and an actor. Actor? What's he been in? Buster. Never heard of it. Um, So he's soft rock, pog rock, progressive rock. Blue-eyed soul and pop. Well, at least they get pop. So Phil Collins started out playing drums with the rock band Genesis. Genesis. Yes, okay. Yeah. I couldn't remember. 
And then when Peter Gabriel left in 1975, he took over as the lead singer. So during the 1980s, the members of Genesis pursued other projects, although Genesis never disbanded. Mm-hmm. With Mick, oh, sorry, Mike Rutherford forming Mike and the Mechanics. Yes, yes. While Phil Collins started out on a solo career. And his solo career was often inspired, as in music-wise, by his marital breakdown and love of soul music. So Collins released four albums during the 80s. Face Value in 1981. Hello, I Must Be Going in 1982. No Jacket Required in 1985. And But Seriously in 1989. While becoming one of the most successful pop and adult contemporary singers of the 80s and beyond, in 1985 Collins was the only artist to perform at both Wembley, London and Philadelphia, US, in the ninety uh, in the um, Live Aid concert. Oh, he did both rather than he did both. He got into Concord one... and flew to America straight after his oh. performance at Wembley. Imagine being someone that's able to be like flew in a Concord, and for that reason as well, that's sick. Yeah. Okay, he's pretty cool. In 1988, he wrote the soundtrack for the film Buster about the great train robbery and even starred as the main character, Buster, alongside Julie Walters, who played his wife. Oh, was it a big time film? It, it, well, it definitely was in the UK. I don't know if it was, I, I shouldn't think many others knew about the probably didn't make oh yeah if it's based on but um i mean the great train robbery was a big thing in the uk and um i don't know how big it was elsewhere but yeah so he played yeah yeah and he played one of the the great train robbers called buster edwards so that's what so there's been loads of films about the great train robbery so this one was focused on one that particular character and it was buster edwards okay i'm with you So in 1996, Collins Mm. left Genesis. Oh, okay. So as much as I said, all this time they haven't actually ever disbanded. Yeah. So he left in 1996 to concentrate on his solo career. Took him a while, Um, didn't it? Well, yeah, and uh, he hasn't really had the success that he had in the 80s. So. Oh. Um, and then in 1999, he wrote the songs for Disney's animated film Tarzan with his scores, You'll Be In My Heart, earning him an Academy Award for Best Original Song. So he won an Oscar. It is an, it is an amazing song. Uh-huh. It makes Tarzan, I think, like, yeah, it really sets it- in 2007, he rejoined Genesis for their Turn It On Again tour. And in 2011, Collins retired to focus on his family life. Fair enough. However, I mean, that took him a while as well, didn't it? Yeah. 
And then in 2016, he released his memoir, so his autobiography. Yeah, yeah. Um, and embarked on a tour, not dead yet, named after his autobiography, not dead yet. Okay. How old in is he? Seventies. Yeah, yeah, it's got to be. So I didn't write. I don't look at their age or you know write down the date of birth. Um, in twenty twenty, he again rejoined Genesis for a second reunion tour. Which oh, ended in March 2022. Although by now Phil Collins was in a wheelchair and unable to stand due to diabetes and a back operation. Oh, you might remember it because it was in the news. So it was a big concert. I don't recall. Yeah, I mean, he didn't look well, to be honest. Um, Collins I mean, has. Off to him for powering through. Yeah. Collins has released eight studio albums and sold an estimated 150 million records worldwide, making him one of the world's best-selling artists. He is one of three recording artists who have sold over 100 million records, both as a solo artist and separately as a principal member of a band. The other two being Paul McCartney with the Beatles mm -hmm. and Michael Jackson with the Jackson 5. Uh, so that's not a bad that, trio, is it? Or two people but, to be named against. Yeah, but then when you look at it, the Beatles, Paul McCartney, massive. Jackson 5, Michael Jackson, massive. Genesis. Phil Collins. Genesis, not massive. Phil Collins, known. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, so to be compared against them, but also I think just Phil Collins has carried it and Genesis have never really wanted to give up. Yeah. So do you think he was better as a soloist or in the band? Um, I mean, I like both. I do like Genesis, but I, I mean, I've got all of Phil Collins. Those four albums that I named... 80s I've got, yeah i've got i had them all right so yeah and then i bought i bought like a greatest hits but it was live it was a live version live album oh, to phil collins live was brilliant and hence he was good yeah. live and hence why he obviously you know was allowed they they said yeah when he probably said how about i do both and they yeah yeah, but they're being good live. I think no matter what, people can be good live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I hate live albums. No matter how good you are live, I don't yeah. need to hear your screaming fan. Especially yeah. if I weren't a part of it. It's one of the first CDs I bought. Really? Yeah, yeah. It was a CD. It was one of the first I bought. It was Phil Collins. Oh, live. CD, not cassette. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you're a Phil Collins fan? I like Phil Collins, yeah. Yeah, I'd put you down as a mm. Phil Collins. Mm. So, Collins has won eight Grammy Awards, six Brit Awards, a Disney Legend Award, Aww. six Ivor Novello Awards. Mm. He has a star on Hollywood Walk of Fame. In 1999, he was inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame. Good on him. In 2003, 
He was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He's not. And that was... Um, sorry, he was, in, so he, he was inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame in 2003 and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2012 as a member of Genesis. Right. Oh, okay. And in 2013, he was inducted into the Classic Drummer Hall of Fame. Oh, he's got some good ones there, hasn't he? And as I've already said, he has also got an Oscar. From his Buster performance. No, no, no. From from his soundtrack. The soundtrack for Tarzan. Yes. I thought he did more Disney films than that. Maybe not. Okay. So, let's see how many number ones he had, or how well he did, if he had any number ones. He's definitely going to have at least one or two out of the five. Come on. Well, we'll find out. 1981, In the Air Tonight. You said it would be a number one. Mm-hmm. I can assure you it was in the top ten. Yeah. And it was in the top five. Yeah. It was in the top three. Yeah. 1981, In the Air Tonight, for Phil Collins, peaked at number two. Did it ever get to number one after the Dairy Milk advert? No, because I'd said it was number one, didn't I? Yeah, but it peaked its highest, whether it did anywhere else, but in the UK, which is where I look, it was number two. Okay. Yeah, so obviously I recognised it. And at first I was like, oh, it's the same tone throughout. And then the iconic drums kicked in. I was like, nah, this is is why I recognise it. And yeah, it was great. He's got a good beat. The only thing I don't like about it is his voice doesn't sound like authentic. It sounds like it's been messed about with, played around with. So I didn't like that about it. Okay. 1981, I Missed Again, number 14. Mm-hmm. This was a nice upbeat one, and I really liked the use of the instruments. Um, and this one, he shows off his vocal range. He can go quite high-pitched. Okay. Still 1981, If Leaving Me Is Easy, number 17. This is a deep thinker song. Like, gets you in the feels, and but it's very chilled out. I think you just have to be in a certain mood to listen to it. Okay. 1982, You Can't Hurry Love, was Phil Collins' first solo number one. Okay. Well, I recognise this one. Um, It's fast-paced. It's got, like, quite this... You know, it, it flows and is continuous with the beat and everything. Um, you can clap along to it. I wouldn't have put it as a number one, though, obviously, because it's insane. But, yeah. Okay. So then we go to 1984. Against All Odds, Take a Look at Me Now. You said it would be number one. Mm-hmm. I can let you know it was in the top ten. Yeah. It was in the top five. It's not- it was in the top three. It's going to be a number two. He's just had a number one. 84. Sorry, 1984. Against all odds, take a look at me now. Number 
two. Yeah, he wouldn't have had a back-to-back, not a back-to-back. Do you know anything about this song? No, I didn't look into it. It's been covered a lot. So I recognised it and I was like, why do I recognise it? Like, I don't recognise this actual, I just recognise the song. Um, It's been covered by a lot of people, one of them being Westlife. Uh I recognise Westlife's version. I prefer Westlife's version as well. But maybe that's just because that's what I really know and I like Westlife. Yes. Okay. Go to 1985. Susudio, my favourite. Number 12. Really? This is my favourite as well, Dad. Yeah, there you go. We never have the same favourites. Very catchy. It had me from the first, like, you know, like, I've liked it. And then the chorus came in. I was like, love it. Love it. It's just got depth to it. Yeah. Listen to it multiple times. I put it in my liked songs. How it didn't get in the top 10, I don't know. But there we go. Top 12. I know I'm shocked. 1985, Easy Lover with Phil Bailey. Number one. No. I do like it. I recognise this one. It has, okay, I have written, it has got everything. It is an all-rounder good song. But I didn't I didn't think it was um, going to be up there. Um, they really complement each other really well. Uh-huh. 1985, One More Night, another one I like. Number four. Okay, recognise this one as well. Uh, really shows off his vocals. Um, the only thing that lets it down is like the chorus is the main focus. So like everything else outside the chorus, it's a bit, it's not up there. But number four is not bad for it. Okay. 1985, Take Me Home, number 19. Uh, that's it. I thought this would be a higher charter. This is probably his most 80s sounding song. Like with all the sounds in the background, you can definitely hear there's, um, even if he didn't have a synthesizer, something that's making the sounds. Um, it's just a bit slow. So I didn't think it would be up there, up there. But I thought it would at least be top 10. 1985 Separate Lives with Marilyn Martin, number four. Hey, this was a good one as well. They both work well together, and the song flows well with like how the vocals are overlap and they like take it in turns and whatnot. Like it's got passion in it, I think. Okay, 1988. Groovy kind of love. You said number one. I mean, I've not been right so far, but yeah. <laughs> it was in the top ten. At least I'm knowing that, that the two number ones I've said so far were number twos. So if I get another number two, I'll be happy. It was in the top five. Mm-hmm. It was in the top three. Okay. 1988. Groovy kind of love gave Phil Collins his... Third number one. Yeah. Oh, fabulous. Um, it's just, I don't know. Do you know what? Right, I'm gonna read word for word what I've written. Recognized it. Feel like it's like in a fit right. I do feel this. I feel like it's in a film or something. Like I feel like that's why I recognise it, like it's been in a film soundtrack. Um, it's calming and it just works. 
no other words to describe it just works it's just a good song okay so then in 1988 two hearts the song from the film buster right number six okay see weirdly i recognize this song but like i wouldn't ever know that it's from a film let alone the film it's from um got a really good beat it's quite repetitive so that's what lets it down for me okay 1989 another day in paradise number two. Oh, i recognize this one as well starts off with a good beat but then it chills out but it is a head bopper okay and then finally in 1990 i wish it would rain down number seven okay this is the one that i said about the video um and the song itself i love the focus on like the lyrics and the vocals like, it's really well really well put together okay so that's phil collins and that's three number ones at least i got it right i've said three from phil collins i just didn't yeah. say the right three yes so we've got two left to find yeah so next up is Majur. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't remember too much about him. Like I know that he was a big figure in the 80s and I feel like he did a lot of producing and getting people together with bands. And he had he's jumped from like band to band, hasn't he? Like super groups and whatnot. But I can't remember specific names because I feel like he's done so much. Um so I've put him as synth pop. Um, I think he's probably better as like a producer in, in maybe in a band than he is a soloist. Um, but what I did absolutely love that he brought to this week, he brought back that original 80s sound from like the beginning, like series one, that sound, like the beginning of the 80s. Um, yeah, he's very well dressed and one video that stood out for me is if it was and i don't know what it's called but you know those things that you can that it's like they're little pins and you put up against like your face or you put your hand and you push it and on the other side you get the imprint of your hand or your face or whatever you've pushed into it don't yeah. know what they're called i wrote pinboard to remind myself what it was but yeah one of them um you there's a lot of use of that in the if i was video and i just think it's really cool and different okay was that an 80s thing, that? Yeah, the pin thing. I think it was, or yeah. 90s. I can't remember. It might be 90s. Well, in fact, I think it might be 90s. It my, but why was he using it in a video if it... Oh, uh, maybe, maybe it was 80s then, yeah. Mm. That's what I thought. I thought maybe it was yeah. like a good thing. Yeah. I don't remember him as a kid, but... Yeah. Well, I remember him as a kid. But I don't think they were like... Yeah. Okay. Majua. Born James Ewer in Cambius Lang, Scotland. He's James. been active in the mute James, yes. He's been active since 1969. He's a vocalist or singer songwriter, musician, and a record producer. Okay. His um, genres are new wave, synth pop, and art rock. Okay. So, as James was a common name in Scotland, 
he became known as Jim. Then when joining Salvation as a guitarist, a band formed in Glasgow in 1970 by brothers Kevin, vocalist, and Jim, bass, McGinley, so the McGinley brothers, Jim and Kevin, um, he joined and then so as not to get confused because there being two Jims, yeah. they turned Year's name backwards. So he became known as Midge. Jim, J-I-M, backwards is M-I-J. Midge. Oh, like writing Midge backwards is like Egg Dim. That's not a name. <laughs> now I get it. What? Yeah. I've written it as M-I-D-G-E. I'll come to that bit in a minute. So that would be Egg Dim. So when you were saying it's backwards... I'm like, yeah. Ed Jim, so that's Jim, not Jim backwards Mitch. is yeah. Mitch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The nickname stuck, although he has since presented it as Midge, M-I-D-G-E, rather yeah. than Midge, M-I-J. Yeah, yeah. So in 1974, Majua became the vocalist after Kevin left to pursue a solo career. And the band, which by now had recruited Billy McIsaac on keyboards and Kenny Hislop on drums. Later in 1974, they changed the band name to Silk. Yes, I remember you talking about Silk. Still can't remember where this is leading to because I did not listen to Silk. In 1975... Ewer turned down the chance to join the Sex Pistols as lead vocalist. Yeah. In 1976, Silk achieved a number one single with Forever and Ever, a song written by Bay City Rollers writers Bill Martin and Phil Counter, along with Jim McGinley. Oh. Jim McGinley left the band not long after and replaced, was replaced with by Russell Webb. And they also terminated the contract with the writers Martin and Cooter, or Counter. Believing their boy band image was hindering them, they changed their name to PVC2 and became a punk rock band. Oh, no. Nice. Year released one record with the band put you in the picture before deciding to leave himself so he just felt the band obviously wasn't going in the direction he wanted to go i mean like the genre side isn't really him at all is it yeah so then muren moved to london right and he formed the band rich kids yeah, I vaguely remember you talking about that. In 1977, with former Sex Pistol bass guitarist Glenn Matlock. Bear in mind that you could have joined the Sex Pistols. Yeah. However, after recruiting Rusty Egan on keyboards and Steve New on drums, the band were involved in musical tensions with Ewer and Egan favouring electronic synth sounds while Matlock and New preferred the traditional guitars and drums. So the band broke up. Ewer and Egan went on to form Visage with Blitz club owner 
Steve Strange. Yeah. And they had a hit with Fade to Grey. Yeah. And a song a song co-written by Ewer and Bill Curry or Billy Curry from Ultravox. Yeah. Yeah. It's all coming back. And Chris Payne from the Tubeway Army, who were Gary Newman's mm-hmm. back in band. So yeah. Fade to Grey was written by Majur, who was in Visage, Billy Curry from Ultravox, and Chris Payne from the Tubeway Army, which was Gary Newman. Mm. So you can see why it had that 80s synth sound. Yeah, all it had like the pure 80s. Yeah. In early 1979, Ewer joined Irish rock band Thin Lizzy on tour as he knew Phil Linnett and helped out at short notice to replace guitarist Gary Moore's sudden departure from the band. Mm-hmm. In late 1979, Ewer in late 1979, Ewer replaced the departed John Fox at the request of Rusty Egan in Ultravox, who, after Fox had left, guitarist Robin Simon left. Um, so Bill Curry was reforming the band, and Rusty Egan persuaded him to hire Ewer to re- in the revived band. So Curry on keyboards, along with you on guitar and Chris Cross on bass, and Warren Can on the electronic drums became the second incarnation of Ultravox, with you becoming the singer, songwriter, guitarist, and second keyboardist. Oh. In 1980, the album Vienna was recorded. And although the band's fourth studio album, it was the first with the new lineup. So it was Ultravox, the group's, or Bill Curry, Billy Curry's fourth album, but it was their first one of this new incarnation. Can I say something? So you know, you know, I said at the beginning, I can't remember where Major was, like where he's been in and whatnot. Well. I've written that one of his songs gives me Vienna vibes and he was in Ultravox when yes. Vienna was released. Yeah. That's mad. Probably wrote Vienna. Lead. Yeah. So the lead single Vienna released in 1981 became a huge hit spending four weeks at number two and becoming the year's fifth highest selling single. Yeah, it didn't make number one. That's mad. Isn't no, it? no. Biggest travesty in music. I was going to say you uh, do not agree with well, you. Well, we'll, you have got the person who was number one later on, so I won't. But you'll listen to the song. You'll be shocked when the revelation comes that this oh, was okay, the one. So that... I'm going to hear number one. Yes. That beat Vienna, yeah. and I'll be able yeah. to be like, okay, I agree or disagree. Yes. Okay, biggest Do travesty. I actually listened to Vienna the other day. I just put it on. Uh, there you go. Top song. So I would say, so far in the eighties, Majur has had a number one that he. I don't know if he wrote it with Silk. 
Mm. We've already spoke about forever and ever or whatever it was. I can't forever now. and um, ever. Yeah, forever and ever, yeah. He's had a top selling single with Visage that he co-wrote, Fade to Grey. And I would hazard a guess if he wasn't the writer, he was a co-writer for Vienna. Yeah. And now we're coming to the big so I don't one. think he had any as a soloist. In November 1984, Ewer co-wrote the charity single, Do They Know It's Christmas? That's why he was so big. I remember when I was like, obviously you gave me him. I was like, this geezer is big. Like Dad's mentioned in probably, especially in series one, a lot if not every episode and for the life of me i could not remember why or what he's done one it's because he's done so bloody much and two he's a top man isn't he so visage I remember that. yeah ultravox and mm. now band-aid so he formed band-aid with Bob Geldof. He co-wrote the song with Bob Geldof. he the reason that some bands joined it because of his connections. Yeah. yeah. So he got involved after appearing with Ultravox on Channel 4's The Tube and host Paula Yates, who handed the phone to Majur after her husband, Bob Geldof, phoned her to talk to Majur and ranted about the BBC News report he'd just seen. Um, or he'd seen of journalist Michael Burke um, talking about the Ethiopian famine, and Yur agreed to compose some music for the lyrics Geldof had already written. Mad, isn't it? Yur has commented that the song is not one of the best he has ever written, describing the momentum of the many artists who sang on the record in the recording studio is what made it what it was mm. yeah it's not i wouldn't say it's one of the best songs but it's just the everyone i still say it's, it's the best christmas song yeah it like it it is christmas mm. so i agree you and geldof set up the band-aid trust of which um remain of which he remains an active trustee oh is that still ongoing yeah and you also organized the live aid concert along with geldof in 1985 and both you and geldof were honored with two ivan novello awards for writing the song oh well they deserve it to be fair in 1988, you also helped organise Nelson Mandela's 70th birthday tribute, at which he also oh. performed. As a soloist? Yeah. Well, I think so, yeah. Um, Majur has also been musical director for the Prince's Trust Rock Concerts in 1986, 1987, 1988, 2010 and 2011. In 2005, he organised Live 8 with Bob Geldof with the aim to get the G8 leaders, which were the leaders of USA, England, France, 
Germany, Italy, Japan, Canada, and Russia to end world poverty. Then, after working on Band-Aid and during our hiatus from Ultravox, Ewer pursued a solo career in 1985 and released the single If I Was from his debut solo album, The Gift, which reached number two on the UK album chart. Although his second studio album, Answers to Nothing, in 1988 only reached number 30 the single dear god helped you gain a foothold in the american market when it charted at number six on the billboard mainstream rock chart so yeah he is beginning and even making it in america getting his songs on their charts, being part of the massive thing of Band-Aid, Live Aid. He's a... So he has since released a fourth... uh, Sorry, a further six studio albums, so eight in total, with Orchestrated being his last release in 2017. Wow, so in, he was active as recent as that. Yep. In wow. 2004, Majur released his memoirs in his If I Was autobiography, where he revealed he is a recovering alcoholic. Hmm. In 2005, he received an OBE from the Queen. And in 2007, he appeared in Celebrity MasterChef, winning in heat and progressing to the final. God, he's a coconut. Of course he is. Of course he's just that good. Is there anything this man can't do? So, that was Majua. The man that does everything. Yes. That's who that is. And I've seen him live a few times at Rewind. Really? Yeah. Is he good live? Uh, yeah, I'd say so. Do you like Midger? Yeah, I do, yeah. yeah. Do you like him in any of his bands? Or do you prefer oh, I love Ultravox. Do you prefer him as a soloist or in Ultravox? Um, I, uh, I'd probably prefer Ultravox music to Midger's, but I like Midger's. I love Cold Cold Heart. Absolutely love it. Mm. Okay. So, 1982, No Regrets, got to number nine. Okay. This is the one that gives me Vienna vibes. He definitely knows what sounds work. And it just, this is where I was like, oh, it's early 80s. I love it. So, yeah, I really enjoyed that one. Weren't my favourite, though, but I really enjoyed it. Okay. 1983, After a Fashion, which was a duo with Mick Khan from Japan, mm. got to number 39. Oh, I thought, nah, this should be higher than that. It flows yeah, really well. They keep it simple and there's a lot of focus on the music and they work really well together. It should definitely be higher than that. 
1985, if I was, was a number one hit for Majure. Do you know why I'm laughing? <laughs> this is my favourite as well, and I didn't back it. Okay. <laughs> I'll take it though, because it's my number, my favourite. But I didn't think he'd have any. Didn't think he'd have any. Um, really shows off his vocals. It's a nice steady song. You know where you are with it. Okay. Nineteen eighty-five. That certain smile. Number twenty-eight. Yeah, it deserves to be up there. There's not much to it. Very quiet, and it's really annoying because it's got long gaps between the verses. Like you finish his verse and you're waiting for him to start singing again. It's really annoying. So yeah, I went a fan of that one. Okay. Nineteen eighty-six, Call of the Wild, number twenty-seven. Okay, good beat, head bopper, um, and it builds up nicely to the chorus. I like a build up. And then lastly, 1991, Cold, Cold Heart, number 17. Uh, you gave me this one because you like it, because it's not yeah. in the 80s. <laughs> um, it's straight into it, fast pace, upbeat, I get why you like it, yeah. Okay, that was Majure. Now we shall move on to Phil Linnett. Yes, so you've already mentioned, but I did find out that he was Thin Lizzy. Um, just a recap, Thin Lizzy for me was a miss. What's Phil Linnett going to be? Um, so I've put him as rock for his genre. I feel like Thin Lizzy was rock as well, but I can't. Philly remember what their genre was. Um, he's got a really nice deep voice. He seems talented, but he didn't do much with his talent. Like I've only got four songs. Um, videos are like live performances. We've not had that in a while, so they're nothing special. Um, and he's just a really smiley person. Like when he's singing, he's smiling. Like he's just loving it. He's there for the. The atmosphere in he okay so he's from west bromwich in england he's been active in the music business since 1965 he's a singer bassist and songwriter he is rock celtic rock blues rock hard rock but yeah. rock so linnett although born in west bromwich grew up in dublin with his grandparents he fronted many bands as a lead vocalist, including Skid Row, before learning bass guitar and forming Thin Lizzy in 1969. Was he the vocalist of Thin Lizzy? Yes. Yeah. After initial success with Whiskey in the Jar, the band had several hits in the mid-70s, such as The Boys Are Back in Town, mm -hmm. Jailbreak and Waiting for an Alibi, and became a popular live attraction, with Linnett combining his vocals and lead guitar playing alongside his songwriting. Towards the end of the 70s, Linnett embarked on a solo career after Thin Lizzy disbanded. 
he assembled and fronted the band Grand Slam. In the 1980s, Linnet got involved with drugs and increasingly had drug-related problems, particularly an addiction to heroin. In 1985, he had a final chart success with his former Skid Row bandmate, Gary Moore, with Out in the Fields, followed by a minor hit, 19, before his death in 1986. Oh! He died young then, but that would have been to do with the drugs, I'm guessing. He remained a popular figure in the rock world and in 2005 a statue in his memory was erected in Dublin. There is a statue of Phil Linnett in Dublin. His song Yellow Pearl, co-written with his friend Majura. Yes. So Majura even wrote Yellow Pearl. Became the theme tune for Top of the Pops. After the oh. producer, after the producer Michael Hurl approached Linnet to write a new theme tune for the show, when Linnet asked what kind of song, Hurl replied something like "Yellow Pearl." So Linnet just suggested to simply use the song. Imagine that! Yeah, like there's appearing on top of the pops and there's having your song on top of the pops isn't there yeah so it's yellow pearl is the the main song that i remember vince clark done the next one i think oh but yeah i didn't know they had like a yeah watch top of the pops and you'll hear yellow pearl the chance are if it's from the 80s you'll hear yellow pearl but i just assumed it was like some random beat put together yeah, no. It is That's Yellow mad. Pearl. That's mad. Okay. So, oh, Phil that's Linnet, be the one, isn't it? soloist. Yeah. 1980, Dear Miss Lonely Heart, number 32. That was my favourite one. Oh, Flows King's Call, you said that was number one. Yeah, but I don't always back my favourite. I like an underdog, don't I? I yeah. like a, I like a forty, um, or forty-one. That's my usual favourites. Um, flows really well, and the only thing I pick with it is that I was kind of waiting for the drop. But it's my favourite with how it flows, the lyrics, the beat, the music, like everything else. I really like. Okay. 1980, King's Call, your number one, number 35. What? I thought number that was probably going to be his best one. <laughs> okay. It's uh, got that talking singing in it, which is why it weren't my favourite. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I'm shocked. Yeah. Kind of bad. Yeah, that was a good one. Like, it was catchy. Hmm, Okay. He ain't going to have a number one. <laughs> oh, unless it's Yellow Pearl. Yellow Pearl. Yeah, unless it's this. Now I know the background of it. Number 14. God, he's not doing well, is he? Um, 
got a long intro, so I didn't enjoy that. It's very instrumental, um, but it is upbeat. Uh, the only downside is when there are lyrics, they're quite repetitive. So, regarding Top of the Pops, obviously it became the Top of the Pops theme tune after it had oh, already been released. Yeah. yeah, that's true. And it's the intro that is the Top of the Pops theme tune. But you look at the peaked position, so if they've ever had a number one with it, you'll tell me it's a number one. Mm. So. Yeah. Okay. 1985, Out in the Fields. With Gary Moore, so they reunited from um, Skidrow. Mm -hmm. Which obviously Majur is Alan Majur knows Lina. Mm -hmm. um, it's a top 10 hit. Oh. So it's his biggest oh. hit. Yeah. It was in the top five. Oh. Hmm. In 1985, Out in the Fields with Gary Moore got to number five. Oh, okay. This was his worst song. Very rock, too much going on, was not me, in the slightest. When you said about it and that he got a hit with his old mate from Skid Row, I was like, oh, well, they ain't done very well with it. But they've done the best that they could have done. Blue neck. Okay. Still a number one to find. Will it be John Parr? No, because I said it will be Van Morrison. And I'm going to be right. <laughs> okay. But on to jo John Parr. Uh, I think he's got a really nice voice. Um. He knows what works for him and his voice. But the thing is, as usually when I say that, I then follow it up with all their songs sound the same. But with John Parr, they didn't. Like, he just knew what worked for him. He went with it. But his songs really were different from one another. Um, love that he's got a song with Meatloaf was not what I was expecting. But yes, um, I've gone with rock or rock pop. Uh, pop rock, whatever way around you've meant to say it. Uh, he likes the location. His videos don't really link to the song. Likes a bit of dark lighting. Very 80s looking. Very moody. Um, and he's got that uh, volumised mullet going on. Okay. So, John Parr from Workshop Nottinghamshire. Active in the music business since 1964. He is a singer, songwriter, musician. Um, he's, um, so he's a vocalist, a guitarist, a bass guitarist, piano and keyboards. Wow, so he really is a musician. And his genre is rock. Oh, just rock. So I wrote rock to begin with and then was like, mm, I feel like there might be a bit more of a pop in there. So... Parr formed his first band, The Silence, when he was just 12 years old with two of his schoolmates. Oh, the so band, it's not like they were signed or anything. They just did it for fun. 
the band achieved some success and eventually they became professional and even toured around Europe. But I don't know how old, how much oh, later that oh, was. Yeah. But still, it wouldn't have been like 10 years later for them to be like in their 20s, surely. No. You would have given up by then. So it probably was still young. Like parents needing permission. Mm -hmm. So Pa was asked by Meatloaf in 1983 to write some songs for his new album. And while working on Meatloaf's album Bad Attitude, he met John Wolfe, who was looking for a new adventure as the band he was tour manager of, The Who, oh. had recently disbanded. So Wolf secured Parr a solo contract with Atlantic Records. Isn't that mad? Like, like Meatloaf just comes knocking on your door, help me out. And then John Wolf is just like, yeah, these are sodded off. So do a recording contract? Give me something to do. Like, it legit is not what you know, it's who you know. Still have to be good, though, don't you? Well, not necessarily. There's a lot of well, these people that can't sing. Parr's debut album was the self-titled John Parr, which reached number 48 on the US Billboard Hot 200 album chart, while lead single Naughty Naughty made number 23 on the Billboard Hot 100. But it did make number 6 on the Billboard Mainstream Rock chart. Parr then toured with his band The Business, supporting Toto across America. At the end of Toto's tour, Parr was asked by the Canadian composer and record producer David Foster if he would write and record a song for the upcoming film St Elmo's Fire. Between Parr and Foster, they co-wrote the theme tune, St. Elmo's Fire, Man in Motion, a film starring Demi Moore, Rob Lowe, Emilio Estevez, Andrew McCarthy and Andy McDowell, who were known as the Brat Pack due to their various films together, including The Breakfast Club, 16 Candles and Pretty in Pink. Okay. The single became an international hit and was number one on both the US Billboard Hot 100 and the Canadian and Canada and was top 10 everywhere else except Belgium, number 12, Netherlands, number 22, and France, where it was a complete flop at number 62. Oh, wow. That is a flop, isn't it? Parr recorded five studio albums between 1984 and 2012, but had no further chart success with his singles. So he was like an 80s man. Yeah. And to be honest, that song was probably only successful because of the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As soon as you said that it was a film, I was like, ah, okay. So, 
1985, St. Elmo's Fire, Man in Motion, which was number one in the US. Yeah. It was in the top ten pretty much everywhere else. As I said, it was also number one in Canada. Mm. Over here, it was in the top ten, so it wasn't a flop like in France. Yeah. It got to number six. Okay, so top ten for here. Um, recognised it. It's got a good build-up, a sing-along, nice steady beat. Bit of a fun one. I did enjoy it. So, 1986, Naughty Naughty, which I gave you because it was... It had already been released in America. Right. Um, and as I said, it got to number 23 on the billboard. Hot yeah. 100, but number six on the actual mainstream rock chart. Mm -hmm. So it was a hit in America. Um, they released it over here following the success of St. Elmo's Fire. Yeah. Unfortunately, though, it wasn't a hit over here. It only got to number 58. You're not going to believe it. It's my favourite. <laughs> <laughs> I only gave you it because I mentioned it. And I thought I'll give you. I thought, oh, I'll give you it, and because there is a story behind it, in that it got released here, as they were obviously hoping that said. that would follow up his from his success, yeah. and it didn't. Yeah, no. As soon as you said, I only gave it to you. I was like, oh, this is going to be like a really rubbish charting, and I'm here looking at it like absolutely loved it. Um, it was just pure eighties. Nice pace, different elements to it. Um, rocky, but a nice rocky sound. I loved it. So, okay. yeah. And then, obviously, in 1986, Rock and Roll Mercenaries, a song by Meatloaf, but co-written and performed with John Parr, mm -hmm. got to number 31. Yeah, I wouldn't have expected it to be a high hit. Not what I was expecting from a meatloaf. Um, it has got a good flow to it, and they do bounce off each other. But it's got a long instrumental, uh, and it's just that bit too much rock for me. Okay, so we move on now to Jim Diamond. Yeah. I've and we still with... have a number one to find. Van Morrison, telling you. Um, so Jim Diamond, I've gone with rock slash country rock. Um, not sure he's much of a singer. And when you were saying before, when I said it's not who, it's not what you know, it's who you know, and you said, but you still have to have talent. Jim Diamond proves that you do not. Um, he really tries to sing his heart out, but he can't sing. I don't think. At all is um videos though. I really liked the I should have known better because it showed like the studio side. So like instead of like just a live performance, it showed him recording it. So I like that. But yeah, weren't really sure what to make of him. Okay. So funny enough, his name's Jim. So have a guess where he's from. Ireland. Glasgow, Scotland, Scotland. <laughs> from Bridgeton or Bridgerton, 
Glasgow, Scotland. He's been active in the music business since 1969. He's a singer, songwriter and guitarist. And his background is pop rock, new wave, synth pop, blue eyed soul. Yeah, I didn't get any of that. So Diamond started his music career at 15 with the band The Method. Then at 16, he fronted a band called Jade. Why do they start so young? Go to school. (laughs) Diamond then joined Alex Corner's backing band and even provided backing vocals. Diamond left them in 1976 to form the band Bandit, which included future ACDC member Cliff Williams. The band got signed up to Arista Records and released their debut album Bandit, which failed to chart. In 1979, Diamond became the lead vocalist for a Japanese band called Bako, B-A-C-C-O, who had an album, Cha Cha Me. Diamond then went to Los Angeles, California to form Slick Diamond with Earl Slick. The band spent time touring and recording and even provided music for a film soundtrack. I couldn't find out what the film soundtrack was, unfortunately. In 1981, Diamond got his big break when newly formed band PHD, which we spoke about. Yes, I do recall. So PHD stands for Phillips, Hymus and Diamond. Simon Phillips uh, was drummer. Um... And Tony Hymus was the pianist keyboards and obviously Diamond was the vocalist and guitarist. Um, They signed to WEA Records and had a hit single with I Won't Let You Down, which became a multi-million selling single. Mm. I don't know if you remember that song. Vaguely, like I remember PhD, but I don't remember the song specifically. Yeah. In 1984, after the band disbanded, Diamond decided to go solo with his debut album Double Crossed, released in 1985. While lead single I Should Have Known Better was released in October 1984, but shortly after the single started rising in the charts. Following airplay, Diamond asked people not to buy it and instead buy the charity single Band Aid. So he was like, don't worry about me, donate charity. Yeah. Good man, I guess. Diamond went on to record eight solo albums between 1985 and 2011, while his only other charting single, Hi Ho Silver, came about after he was approached by Central Television to write the theme tune for a new TV drama. He asked them to send the script of the pilot episode, and the episode was called Ken Boone Fireman. This got Diamond interested, as his father had been a firefighter, and the lyrics were about how his father rescued him many times when he was down on his luck. 
The TV show was called Boon and went on for seven series between 1986 to 1995 and launched the acting career of Neil Morrissey. I don't know who that is. Uh, well, you know, because you wouldn't remember the other men behaving badly, which he was in. Um, well, I know of that, but yeah, never watched it. Diamond died in his sleep in October 2015, aged 64. Quite a good life. While you were talking, though, all I could think is, why do people prefer to be in a band? Like, loads of these soloists started off in a band. Like, even the ones that peaked in the 80s as a soloist, like Jim Diamond, for example, that we've just spoken about. He went through and was in these bands before deciding to be a soloist. Why not try and pursue a solo career in the first place? Like, why do they Safe, want to be a band? Safety in numbers. Get yourself out there first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe. You know, and you still need a backing band anyway, so. Yeah, true. It's just a thought that crossed my mind while you were talking. Yeah. Okay, so Jim Diamond. 1984, I Should Have Known Better, mm-hmm. number one. Now, uh, look, number you're lying. One. Number you're... one, even after he told people not to buy it. Nah. Jim Diamond got a number one. Give yeah. over. I should have known better. To lie to some as beautiful as you. That was it, number one. It's a weird song. <laughs> What's the ay 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 bit in it? <laughs> Why? What's the point? It doesn't give anything to the song. Well, it obviously did. There's it got to nothing. number one. It's the same beat throughout as well. It's boring, and then you get to ay 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 ay, and I'm like, what, what, what? Like, no, carry on. That I'm flabbergasted. Okay. 1986, Hi Ho Silver, number five. Who is buying these? Do you like him? I'm not. I mean, the songs are okay, but no. Daddy can't sing. <laughs> He's not a singer. Um, Hi Ho Silver was my favourite. It's got good use of instruments and a nice mixture, upbeat. But see, I didn't say anything about him. Okay. He got a number one and a number five. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And a multi million pound single with his group as well, PhD. Group, you've got he still was the that's why still got off the good song, yeah. But I asked, was he the vocalist? Because I was like, did he do the singing in that? No, yeah, daddy can't sing. Oh, he can, he can't. Moving on to Van Morrison, yeah. So, Van Morrison went with reggae, RB, soul. 
<laughs> you look really confused. Like all I've just said is like you listen to the same thing I am. <laughs> Name gives off a really rock heavy metal vibe, but he's not. Um his songs are different from one another. Like he's not really decided on his genre, so I'm really confused, hence why reggae R and B soul could be any. Your face says none. Um, not really any videos. Um, I didn't expect him to look like he did. Like he's just an old man. Don't know. I don't know what I was expecting before. Well, he's he old now, yeah. No, but even in the videos, he's quite old. So yeah, but not much to say about him. To be honest, he didn't do much. Okay. So you're going to list born... off all the bands he's been in, and he was born George Ivan Morrison. From Bloomfield, Belfast, Northern Ireland. He's been active in the music business since 1958, which might be why you thought he was old. He is a singer, songwriter, musician. So he's a vocalist, a guitarist, and a saxophonist. He is Blue Eyed Soul, Celtic Rock, R&B Folk soul jazz and blues stroke blues rock okay well i got so and to be fair i did first off only write reggae and r&b and then as i listened more i wrote soul so george is known professionally as van morrison and van the man to his fans his solo career started in 1967 after his early career saw his him in various irish show bands he rose to prominence in the mid-60s as the lead singer of the northern irish r&b band them with whom he wrote and recorded the song gloria which although not a hit for them it was covered a year later by the shadows of night that's k-n-i-g-h-t and reached number 10 on the Billboard Hot 100 chart in 1966. Oh, I wouldn't be fuming if someone else got it high because you're getting all the royalties. Oh, yeah. So it's funny because when them released it, it was only the B-side. And obviously Shadows of the oh, Night so they liked didn't it. They, they didn't promote it. No. So Van Morrison then started a solo career with the release of Brown Eyed Girl in 1967, which reached oh, wow. number 10 in the US on the Billboard Hot 100. Why on earth have I got it? Warner Brothers then offered a recording contract after seeing his debut album, Blow In Your Mind, reach number 10 on the Billboard Hot 200. The recording contract was for three albums. Um, and they were 1968's Astral Weeks, 1970's Moon Dance, and his band and the Street Choir, which was that's an album, by the way. His okay, band. That and the sounded Street. weird. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Astral Weeks made number 55 in the UK, while Moon Dance reached number 32, and his band and the Street Choir reached number 18. 
Van Morrison stayed with Warner Brothers until 1978, releasing nine studio albums under that label. Morrison then signed with Mercury Records in 1979 and released a further eight albums before signing with Polydor in 1989. So he's it was done one... a lot of albums. Yeah. And I've got three songs. Yeah. It was while with Polydor he had the best chance success with both Enlightenment in 1990 and Hymns to the Silence in 1991 both charting in the UK album chart at number five. While his next two albums with record label Exile, Too Long in Exile reached number four on the UK album chart in 1993, while Days Like This reached number five in 1995. Van Morrison's only single chart success in the UK is his Whenever God Shines His Light, a duet with Cliff Richard. In 1993, Van Morrison was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, where he became the first inductee not to turn up. He was. What? Yeah, he didn't, he didn't turn, turn up. up. Why? No. Better things to do. Um, He was the first musician to be inducted into the Irish Music Hall of Fame with Bob Geldof presenting him with his award because he obviously turned up up for that one. Thought that was worthy enough. Van Morrison has been inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame three times. He's won a Brit Award for Outstanding Contribution to British Music. And in 1996, he received an OBE. And in 2013, the Freedom of Belfast. What's that? Means he can do whatever he wants. In 2015, he was made a Sir. So he was knighted. Look at him go. So, you asked why I gave you Brown Eyed Girl. Yeah. So, you're right. It is from 1967. Which, by the way, can I point out, absolutely love that you just ignore me and carry on and wait till you get to it when you want to get to it. <laughs> <laughs> How's that? All right, then. So, you thought yeah. this would be number one. Yeah, but now I'm like, well, yeah. it's an old one. So... But it's, right. not, but it's also can't be because we found all the number ones anyway. But yeah, I thought it would be. Yeah. So that's the reason I gave you it, because it is a good song. And yes, you're right. It's from 1967. And this just shows you how, I don't know, how some songs just don't do it. So it got to number 10 in the US. Now, we already know from even now how hard it is to break in the US. And if you get in, if you, you know, get a, a top. 100 in the US it's good yeah you know so to get a top 10 is 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 big yeah you thought it would be number one yeah I think it's a good song yeah as well Mm. and I gave you it just because I thought I'll give you that song so you can hear you can listen to it and see what you think yeah 
In the UK in 1967, Brown Eyed Girl got to number 60. Shut up. Why do I know it then? Because it stood the test of time. But it didn't hit. It's weird. Yeah. It's a great song. Nice vibes, feel good. It does talk in singing, which I don't usually like, but in this it worked. Good beat. Fantastic song. It was my favourite. Yeah. Hmm. Well, they didn't like it in 1967, but they did over the pond in America. Mm. So, 1989, Whenever God Shines His Light with Cliff Richard. You said this was his biggest hit, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. and it only got to number 20. Well, I didn't like it. Cliff, but I don't like Cliff Richard, and Cliff really tries to make it about him. There's just not much, there's not much to it, other than they turn take so much, it's like they're fighting to be heard. Like, no, my turn. My turn. Like, it was just annoying. Like, they didn't sing together once. Mm. I didn't think anyway. Didn't sound like they did. Okay. And then in 1993, Gloria, which had been a B-side for his group, Them, in 1964, although it did chart, as I said, um, because it was covered by The Shadows of Night and got to number 10. Yeah. In the billboard. Um, so he then released Gloria in 1993 with John Lee Hooker. Yeah. And it got to number 31. Okay. So I listened to this one in my car. Didn't think much of it. Like quite slow, quite instrumental. But when I was then watching the video, the only video I could find was a live video. He's good live, you know. That's one thing I took from Gloria. Good live. Can work a crowd. Fine. Well, five number ones. Mm -hmm. One of them, I think, was a shroff. I don't know if Majura was a shock. You said you liked it. You just didn't expect to be number one. But obviously, definitely, I should have known better was a a shock. And from the sound of what you described, I don't think you're a fan of Jim Diamonds, but we shall now find out with Hit or Miss. Did Dad educate, did Dad influence daughter or did he not? Well, Phil Collins was a definite hit. He's amazing. Like, because I only really know his Tarzan music and obviously the iconic with the drums. One, I didn't recognise how many songs... One, I didn't realise how many songs I recognised until obviously you sent me a list. And two, never... Because I've never listened to like a whole album of him. I've listened to a song here and there maybe. I've never realised how be- like calming his voice is. It was lovely. So that was nice. Um, Mid-year. He was a hit. He was a hit. I did enjoy him. Um, I just didn't think he would. Would I think as well? He's better. I think I said this in putting groups together or being in a group rather than a soloist. But I do like his bit. Like you, you said that you you like Ultravox, but you would prefer Ultravox. He's probably one of the best songwriters of all time. Yeah, at least from synth poppy songs that I like. Mm. I, do you know what I really liked about him? 
he really brought back that 80s sound I think that's why that's probably what hit with me more than anything mm. but yeah no I did enjoy him and it was nice to listen to his solo music after hearing so much about him okay yeah. Phil Linnett he was a miss but like I say I weren't a fan of Finlay's either so um yeah he just I don't know not much there with his music I think so yeah just didn't stick with me John Parr was a hit I really enjoyed his songs as much as I didn't have many um they were catchy you know they were they had something to him and like I said he really found his sound stuck with it but didn't just have everything sounding the same so I liked that Jim Diamond I'm gonna surprise you it was a hit really no I'm joking miss a <laughs> <laughs> big miss he can't sing <laughs> He can't sing. So no, miss, on that. Listen to him and I'm like, never again. Got a number one and a number five. Don't care. D you lot were deaf. I mean, it probably weren't you personally, but you 80s folk, deaf. Tone deaf. Um, Van Morrison, Van the Man. Um, love Brown Eyed Girl, but he's a miss. Just weren't for me. The other two songs just weren't doing it at okay. all. And it proves like he didn't really have any hits either, really, when you think about it. So all it leaves me to say is who you've got next week. Mm -hmm. So love it. Episode nine yeah. will consist of a man by the name of Elton John. Oh, okay. I like a bit of Elton. But to be fair, actually, I say I like a bit of Elton. I don't think I know a vast variety of his songs. Okay, we'll see. Chris Rea. Didn't he do a Christmas song? Driving home for Christmas. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I know that. David Sylvian. No. Sting. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know Sting. What band was he in? He was in. Every breath I take. The police. See, I need a trigger sometimes. Colonel Abrahams. Blumenecki sounds like a president, not a singer. And Neil Diamond. I nearly finished that for you. So I know that name, but I don't know why I know that name. I know Neil Diamond. Well, he's no relation to Jim. Well, thank God for that. But <laughs> when you said Neil, I was like, Diamond. But I don't know why I know that. So we will find out why. We will. Okay. Do you expect so... me to know him? Hey. Okay. Do you expect me to know him? Is no, he someone that I would no, know? No. Well, why do I know his name then? Okay, I'll let you know next week. So, Elton John, Chris Rea, David Sylvian, Sting, Colonel Abrahams and Neil Diamond are your artists, solo artists, males, 
for next week. Okay. So I will say happy listening. I'll yep. get the songs to you. Mm-hmm. And um, we shall discuss next week. We shall indeed. All right, then. Okay. On that note, I will say goodbye. Bye, Dad. See you.